Amen. 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 Y'all go ahead and be seated. Good morning. So I uh, lost my voice a little bit this weekend, which is the essential factor in a preacher's life. Uh, but I think it's all right, so we'll see how this goes today. Praying for the Lord's uh, support. Uh, <clears throat> I've been so excited about this word all week and what God's going to show us. I felt like I just had to, had to press through, and so hopefully we can make it through this morning, but I know the Lord has some amazing things. A couple quick things for you before we jump in is, uh, number one, if you're new, there's a connect card on your seat. Please fill that out. We'd love to get to know you. Uh, the second thing is, remember, there's a member meeting today at 1. Lunch is provided. We're going to talk a lot about uh, the building and kind of the plans moving forward and what's going on with that and all the exciting things the Lord is doing. I wanted to say thank you. You guys covered all the coats last week and more. And uh, so the Falls Church High School is really blessed and encouraged by your support and by how quickly you guys were generous. So praise the Lord for that. A couple more ways that you can serve is there's a Thanksgiving box delivery. All it is is a list with items needed and address to take it to. On your way out, if you will grab that list and deliver it to the house between now and Thanksgiving, that would be fantastic. And then our annual Christmas store, which we provide gifts for our families in need around here, uh, the list is available online. And so the way that works is you go, you Amazon something to us, that's something that somebody had asked for, or you go buy it and bring it to us. And on uh, December 10th, I believe, we have a Christmas store available to our community, but you can go ahead and buy those lists now. That is online. The final way you can serve, which is very important, obviously close to my heart. Today is Stan Sunday, which was formerly known as Orphan Sunday. Uh, It's the day where we kind of remember the plight of the orphan, and especially the church is called to take care of that. And so uh, we serve in that way um, a million different ways. We do this internationally. We do this locally. The one thing I wanted to point out to you today uh, was that Foster the Family is an organization who serves foster children and their families. They house their office out of our building. We're highly connected to what they're doing. Uh, They have information at the desk over here you can go get on your way out about how you can serve, how you can bless foster kids. There's lots of ways to take care of foster kids without being a foster parent, uh, which you can go do that as well. Uh, But I want everyone to feel like, hey, there's something I can do. And so there's lots of ways we serve. We serve Hope and Nova, which is the Pregnancy Support Center. There's Young Lives, which serves teen moms. Uh, And there's Foster the Family, which you can go find out about at the lobby, which is very near and dear to us as we we care for uh, foster kids and youth throughout our area. Uh, So please go ahead and, and, and check that out. Uh, Today is uh, Haggai chapter 2, so if you want to go ahead and open your Bible to Haggai chapter 2. There you go. Y'all be loud for me today, because I can't, okay? You you can take a deep breath. You can't get yelled at today. This is as high as I can go, all right? So uh, we're going to let, see what the Lord Lord can do with this. Uh, So today's message is called, It's Not Nothing, all right? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not nothing, okay? It's not nothing. It's not nothing. I want to give you some heavenly perspective on your life this morning, on some of the things you think might not be very significant, very important, some of the places in your life where you're maybe making a little bit of progress, some of the messiest places in your life where you feel discouraged about, maybe you're not becoming the thing that you want to become or the person you'd like to be yet or any of that. And I want you to have God's perspective this morning that it's not nothing, it's not nothing. The things in your life that you may consider insignificant or not enough or lacking progress, maybe the places in your life where you're most discouraged, the Lord would look at that and say, it's not nothing. 
And so we're going to read Haggai chapter 2. <clears throat> Just context for the last two weeks, remember? So the people had moved back to the land. The land was in ruins. They decided to take care of the land instead of build the temple. Haggai comes in and says, you must prioritize God first if anything else in your life is going to work. So they received that word, as we talked about last week. They decide to be obedient and to follow what is said. They prioritize the building of the temple. So they're eager beaver, all right? They're zealous to do what they're supposed to do. And now we see, uh, just a few weeks later, uh, how difficult it gets and how discouraged they are. You know, you guys know this. You walk out of a Sunday morning, yeah, I'm going to go change my life. And then the next morning, you're like, man, this is hard to do. You know, you, you feel like you should do something different, and you have a week's worth of zeal, you know. This is the same idea where everybody signs up for the gym in January, and nobody's there in February, okay. This is, this is what's happening with them, okay. They've signed up for the gym. Woo, they're excited, but February comes a month later. They don't want to go to the gym no more, okay? So uh, this, is what, this is what's happening right now. And so let's read that from Haggai chapter 2. He says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. <clears throat> Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> and Morgan Freeman just read to you the verse this morning, all right? So you're welcome. You say, I like it better when your, verse is like, when your voice is like that, all right? Uh, so this is what you see what happened, right? They were stirred up. And then the 21st day of the month, this is basically around 27, 26 days later, uh, they're tired and they're discouraged, okay? Their zeal is quickly fading. They're looking at their work and they're saying, man, this is bum. You know, this is not good. Like, we were very excited and then when we see what it actually is, we're not as excited anymore, you know? Uh, and the same is true for us in many ways, not only with what, we're, what we think about our lives, but the reality that they were between what God had promised and what, when it would come to pass. They were living in the middle, in between what God had said, and then when it would come. And so now, just like us, they're building, and they're hoping, they're working, and they're waiting, but they're stuck somewhere in the middle between what God had said, and then what would finally come to pass. And that is really our lives for so much of it, is we're in the middle between what God has said and promised, and then our, the fulfillment, our realizing the fulfillment of that promise, particularly in heaven one day. We are somewhere in between what God has said and what God has promised. And you may be looking at your life there in the middle, and you may be distracted. You may be discouraged. Maybe you walked in this morning unmotivated. Maybe you thought, man, what's the point? You're struggling to keep going. You feel like you're stuck in a rut, maybe. Whatever it might be, we all in seasons of our life can be tempted to get discouraged because we're looking at things, we say, man, that's nothing. 
It's not important. It's not significant. My life is not moving forward like I thought it would. And we think in our head, man, the things that God said, I don't see fulfilled yet totally in my life, you know? The things that God told me about how my life would work through the Bible, I don't see it realized in every way that I would like. I'm kind of confused between what God has said and what I see in my life. I'm stuck somewhere in the middle. And the voice of the Lord is going to speak to you just like he did to them. And so I just have three basic things for you this morning about the fact that it's not nothing. So three implications from this reality for us. The first is this, it's not nothing, so change how you're thinking. <clears throat> it's not nothing, so change how you're thinking. So the first reason he has to address the people of God in chapter one is they had wrong priorities. The second reason he addresses them, the second sermon he preaches in chapter two is because they have the wrong perspective. So they got their priorities right, but now they got their perspective wrong. How many of us, this happens to us when we finally get our priorities right to put God first, but we get our perspective wrong as to how that's supposed to look? And because our perspective is wrong, we once again disorder our priorities because it didn't look like I thought it would look. Listen, by any means necessary, the devil wants us to not do the work of the Lord. If you get your priorities in order, his next attack will be to get your perspective out of order. You say, I finally want to get my life right with God. I finally want to live a certain way. I feel convicted to go do this and that. And then you attempt to do that, and it doesn't do back to you what you thought it would. Nate said, man, if I really pursue the Lord, I'm going to find the joy of the Lord. And you wake up and you feel depressed still. And you say, what am I supposed to do with that? How do I manage these different feelings and realities? And so you need to have the right perspective that God is working even in the midst of things that look small and insignificant, that God is active, that his promises are still true. And so Haggai comes in, they have right priorities, but now they have the, right, the wrong perspective. And I find this probably to be the main issue that happens in any of our lives where we, we have a conviction and we want to change, and then we don't see that change through because we didn't have the right perspective. So many of you have given up on the right change because you didn't have the right perspective. You thought it would look like something different than it did, and so you gave up and you quit. And I want to encourage you this morning, just like he encouraged this morning, the reasons that you need to endure <clears throat> and the reasons you should be encouraged to keep going. And the first thing I want you to notice about this is that God's word is sufficient for us. God's word starts the change, and then God's word sees it through. I want you to know that God has a word for every situation of your life. God started, God's word came in, and it prompted the change. It got things going. And then things got difficult. Friction started to happen on the road. Things were hard in their life. And what was the solution to that? Another God's word. God's word starts. God's word sees it through. God has a word for every situation. So if you come in here and God's word gets you going, you better start going to read God's word so it can see it through. Don't get started up by God's word on Sunday morning and not let God's word see it through Monday through Saturday. God's word starts and God's word sees it through. The beauty is God has a word for every situation. And every Christian in this room who has been walking with the Lord for any length of time can tell you that when I read my Bible with consistency, it's amazing how relevant the scriptures are to my current life. Right? Every Christian would say amen to that. Y'all in the room, you say, yeah, that's been me. 
to say, man, I just read the Bible. I'm just, I'm just faithfully trying to stay consistent with God, and all of a sudden, there's the verse in the chapter that's so relevant to my current situation. I didn't plan it, but God did. I'm telling you, if you're not consistently reading the scriptures, you're missing out on God's answers for your situation. And then you run into a situation, and you Google a scripture about it, and you try to get into it and find it. And you know, praise the Lord, you're trying to get into the scriptures, but there's a total different way to do it when you're consistent with the Lord and the scriptures are your foundation, not your second go-to chance, you know? It's the priority. You're building this relationship with God. I promise you. God's word will start and God's word will see it through. But God's word is what you need to navigate and have the right perspective in every situation. And your perspective might be off simply because you don't give any time to God's word. And you're not giving him the opportunity through the word to alter your perspective. So you came in on a Sunday morning, you went to a worship night, you came to a group, a lighthouse, you, you did something, you went and served, and you, you were fired up and it got you going but then it didn't see it through because you neglected the daily use of God's word. So God has a word for every situation, every situation of your life. And I promise you that if you faithfully read the scriptures, the Lord will constantly lead, guide, and help you. So the first thing that God does to them is ask a question. He says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong. The reality is that the previous temple was full of gold. It was beautiful. It was one of the most amazing things man had ever built. And most of these people, if they saw that temple, they would have to be at least 80, 90 years old. They would have seen it as a small child, okay? This is 70 years removed from when that temple got burnt down. <clears throat> and so now we see this reality that those who not only saw it, maybe as children, but had heard about it, and now imagine they're building uh, this little shed, basically. I mean, they, they remember the temple in all its glory, and now they're building this, this really small thing with all these random pieces of wood, and there's no gold involved, and you know, it looks pretty bad. It doesn't look pretty exciting. So they're looking at it, and they're thinking, man, you know, they started building. It doesn't look good. It certainly doesn't look as good as it used to, and everybody thinks, man, what's the point? And they all get discouraged. How often is that true in our lives when we start to obey God or start to do the things we're called to do, but it simply doesn't look as good as we hoped it would? Or it doesn't look as good as maybe someone else's life looks in the same context, and we get discouraged. You get discouraged doing the work of the Lord. You get discouraged in your parenting. You get discouraged in your friend relationships. You get discouraged in your marriage. You get discouraged at work. You get discouraged in so many situations. You're trying to do the right thing, and you're trying to walk with the Lord and do what he wants you to do, but you see so little progress, and so you're discouraged. I know so many of you walked in or maybe watching online this morning. You feel that way. You say, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I see so little progress. I'm so discouraged. Well, I want to encourage you this morning that God is actively at work in your situation. This is what he's going to tell them, <clears throat> that it's not nothing. The reality for us is that endurance requires encouragement. Endurance requires encouragement. You and I need to constantly be encouraging one another. This is what God is going to do is say, hey, I know you're discouraged, but be strong. And now he's going to proceed to encourage them with a bunch of promises and a bunch of help and a bunch of support. 
And so it is with us. We need to be reminding one another to say, man, if you're going to endure and if you're going to fight through the times where you see little progress, if you're going to not give up on that situation or on that relationship when it feels like it's not working out as good as you would like, if you're going to stay faithful over the long haul, you're going to need endurance. And to have endurance, you're going to need encouragement. And therefore, it is our job to encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 3 says we must encourage one another daily so that no one is deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. We need encouragement. We need to be constantly encouraging one another. This is so important for us to have endurance so that we can help each other gain the right perspective. <clears throat> this is why lighthouses or consistent Christian involvement with other people who love Jesus is so important because you need the right perspective. You need encouragement. And some of you maybe are lacking endurance simply because you're not getting the encouragement that you need because you're not surrounding yourself with God's people and you're not surrounding yourself with God's word. And if you would have those two things, your perspective would be altered, you would be encouraged, and that you would be able to fight through. So God gives them a promise. This is what he says in verse 9. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. So look what he's saying. You're discouraged because it looks like nothing now. But the latter glory of this house, what you are building now that looks like nothing will be greater than the thing you're comparing it to. I want you to understand something about how God works. God's work is always progressing towards the best thing. It always gets better from here. The God's work is always making us more like Jesus. It's always progressing us towards his purposes. And ultimately, it's leading us into a place called heaven of perfect beauty and perfect peace and happiness forever. My body, even in the midst of its health problems, is progressing in Christ towards something better. My life, even though it might be surrounded by issues right now and it might not look better tomorrow, is progressing towards something better. The latter glory of my body will be better than the first. The latter glory of my life will be better than the first. The latter glory of my situation will be better than the first. Think of the best moments of your life and you are progressing towards something better than that in Christ. It is always true of the Christian that the best is not behind you but the best is yet to come. That is always true of your life in Christ. <clears throat> Some of you are looking back to times that you loved before and are struggling with the reality of your life now. And I want to encourage you that the latter glory of your life is better than the first. The best is yet to come. Now, once again, to maintain proper perspective, that doesn't mean you walk out of here and everything feels great and the cancer goes away automatically and everything goes wonderful and the marriage gets healed all right away. Those things are certainly possible, but it is to say I hold on to God's promise that there is coming a day when everything will be made right in my life and I will enjoy that place of peace with God forever. I am progressing towards my best thing. And some of you, you'd like to be married by now, and you feel like you're getting older and you're disappointed, and I want to encourage you. Maybe the Lord still has something, but either way, you are progressing towards the best. You feel like you're not at work where you'd like to be. You're not in the situation in your job where you'd like to be. You're not as successful as you'd like to be yet. You thought you'd be somewhere by the time you were 30, 35, 40. You thought you'd hit this by the time you're 50. You thought you'd have it all figured out, and I want to encourage you that God is helping you progress towards your very best. Your life is not declining in Christ. Your life is inclining towards him. Okay, this is wonderful. And this includes your suffering because the Bible tells us that when we suffer, we get closer to Jesus. 
So we are becoming more what we were intended to be. So look at this. Your good things are things God has given you to enjoy. Praise the Lord. There will be more of those to come. And the bad things are, God, are things that God allows in your life so that you can grow and become more like Jesus, which is also a wonderful thing. So praise the Lord. No matter whether good comes or whether bad comes, you are progressing towards what God has intended you to be. This is the encouraging thing for your life. I want to encourage you this morning that how you see it now is not how you will see it later. What you see is not what will be. We need some faith perspective in the building this morning to say, look at your situation and look at your life. And even if heaven is the answer to say, how I see it now is not how I will see it later. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. When the glory of a temple looks like a shed in your backyard, this is what's happening. When the most beautiful thing looks like something broken, listen to me, it's not what you perceive, but what you believe. I'm asking you this morning to not look to it, but look through it to what God has on the other side. It's not what you perceive, but what you believe. And so many of us are living by what we perceive, what I can see, what I can understand, what I can feel, my senses, and they're dictating the joy of my life, but I want to help you take a step of faith this morning. It's not what you perceive, but what you believe. That's what he wants them to hold on to, because they're not going to see it as it will be. They're going to build something that other people will see later in life. They're going to be a part of the process in God's plan. It is not what you perceive, but what you believe. Stop looking to it and start looking through it. Your perspective on your problems and issues and difficulties and lack of progress in life is, is difficult because you're stopping it at the problem, at the situation, and God wants you to look through it to who he is, to his promises, to his love for you. Stop living your life by what you perceive and start living your life by what you believe. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about his love for you? Isn't the, the cross sufficient evidence that God loves you? Isn't God's promises sufficient evidence that God has sent Jesus and saved your life? Isn't this sufficient to give you the belief to navigate the things you perceive in your life? You say it's, not, it's nothing, and God comes along and says it's not nothing. You are progressing towards the end in which I made you for. It's not nothing. Don't look to it, look through it. So it's not nothing. You need to change how you're thinking. Get your priorities right. And you need to make sure your perspective stays right as well. The second thing is this. It's not nothing, so give it your everything. <clears throat> he says, be strong and work, for I am with you. You know, so often the amount of effort we put into something is in proportion to how important we think it is. You know that. The amount of effort you put into something is in proportion to how important you think it is. And if that presentation at work doesn't really matter, then you're probably going to slack on it. But if that presentation on work depends on whether you have a job or not, you're probably going to give everything you have to it. This is true all the time. You see this in sports, the players who don't play very much and get in there and they roll their eyes and they're not trying very hard because they don't think it's very important. They're not locked in. They're not playing the game. They don't think their role is very important. They're not getting the playing time that they would like. So they don't play hard enough. They don't get the credit that they would like. <clears throat> so they don't give it their everything. Listen, your perspective on your life will determine how much you give to your life. Your perspective determines your effort. 
And if your perspective is off, you won't have the motivation to put the effort in. And if you don't put the effort in, you won't see the growth. And your perspective will keep going down because you don't see progress. But it's because your perspective limited your effort and your effort didn't let you create progress. Your perspective determines your progress. You guys know this. If you think it's important, you give it everything that you have. If you don't think it's important, you don't prioritize it. We said this a few weeks ago. If you don't spend time with God, it's just because it's not important to you. It's that simple. Nobody's too busy for that. It's impossible. So it's not nothing. So because it matters, God is saying, man, be strong. Give it your everything. He gives them this promise. He says, my spirit remains in your midst. Meaning, I haven't given up on you yet, so don't give up on me. He said, listen, I haven't left you, and my spirit remains. The word remains is a wonderful word. You could, you could translate it, stands. It's an active presence. It's not just like I put the iPad here, but it's like I'm here. It's an active presence. He said, I am actively standing amongst you, supporting and encouraging you. I haven't given up on you, so you don't give up on me. That's what God says to you this morning, through Christ, in Christ, in my spirit, in Christ still resides within you. I haven't taken my spirit away from you. I haven't given up on you, so you do not give up on me. God is still actively at working in your life. That's why that statement in that song is so important. Even when I don't see it, he's working. It's straight out of the scriptures. God is saying, my spirit is still in you through Christ. If you put your faith in Christ, my spirit is still in you. I am still actively at work in your life. Therefore, be strong, put the work in, keep going after what God has called you to. Don't give up because God is still working on your behalf. He's still working for you. Even when you can't see it, he's still working for you. Even when you can't feel it, he is actively, not passively. God is not sitting down watching your life happen. He is standing up actively involved. And this is what requires a faith perspective because sometimes you can't see it and sometimes you can't feel it. So will you live according to what you perceive or will you live according to what you believe? He says, be strong. And he tells them to fear not. The reason they should fear not is that God is faithful. It's a simple statement. Fear not for God is faithful. Fear not for God is faithful. Fear not for God is faithful. God is faithful to us, even in the midst of horrible difficulties in our life. <clears throat> I want you to notice something here. So he says, be strong. And then later he says, fear not. And in between that, he makes a, a promise. This is what he says. He says, be strong, all you people of the land. He says, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Here's the promise. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, so fear not. So it is God's past promises and God's present presence that give us the power to work towards his future provision. Okay, you need to write this down. It is God's past promises and God's present presence. This should be on the screen. God's past promises and God's present presence that gives us the power to work towards his future provision. How do I navigate the seasons in my life that look like nothing? Well, I remember what God has promised. I remember that his presence is actively with me now, and those things give me the power to work towards his future provision. The future provision is there, but I must partake and I must act accordingly. 
What's going to motivate me to act? What's going to give me the right perspective? Well, it's God's past promises and God's present presence. When I meditate on these things, the result is I fear not. There's a reason why be strong and fear not is sandwiched with the promise to God's covenant. He says, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. Now, let me let you know, none of the people he's talking to actually came out of Egypt. Okay, this is long past that. So what does he mean? He's treating them just like he treated the people who came out. He's saying, you are my people, so the promises I made to the people who came out of Egypt are just as true for you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I made a covenant with them, therefore I will make a covenant with you. Let me tell you something. He didn't save you to fail you now. He didn't save you to fail you now. He didn't promise these things. Listen to me. God did not save Noah from the flood or bless Abraham with the son or part the sea for Moses or give the promised land to Joshua or slay the giant for David or shut the mouth of the lion for Daniel or stand in the fire with Shadrach or give a second chance to Jonah. He didn't bring his people back to land even after their rebellion. He didn't send Jesus, his only son, to die and rise for our sins. He didn't send the Holy Spirit to build the church. He didn't open your heart to the gospel so you could receive Christ just to fail you now. He who did not spare his own son but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Fear not because God is faithful. He didn't save you to fail you now. Here's the third point. <clears throat> I don't know if I'm going to preach the next sermon. <laughs> Here's the third point. I said I wouldn't yell at you, but the Lord is empowering me to do so. So it's a yes and encouraging yell, you know. So it's not nothing, so you need to change your thinking. It's not nothing, so give it your everything. Work and be strong. The Lord has made a covenant with you. And it's not nothing, so therefore wait on God's timing. It's not nothing, so wait on God's timing. He says in verse 7, sorry, verse 6, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth. What a phrase, in a little while. There's a lot in that statement, in a little while. It wasn't so little after all, you know, to them. To God it is. The scripture says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. In a little while to God could be a long while for us. He says in a little while. If we're going to maintain the right perspective, we must learn to wait on God's timing. It's not nothing now. I mean, it's not, it looks like nothing now, but it won't be nothing later. And I must wait to see the fulfillment of God's promise. I want to give you a fun little example here. <clears throat> So remember the story last week of the group of people that opposed the work. So remember, if you read through Ezra, you're going to catch some of the content of Haggai. And Haggai's prophesying while Ezra's trying to lead the people as well. And they're working together in some ways. And <clears throat> so they try to build the temple. But remember, there's opposition. So obedience always has opposition on the other side. We try to obey God. We face opposition. Well, uh, the opposition, because in God's providence, ended up having to support the work of the temple. I want you to, I want you to see something 
here and see how God's timing plays out. Because if God can do this, I mean, God could do anything. This is, this is really ironic, you know, <clears throat> outside of God's providence. So it says, now, therefore, this is Ezra chapter 6, verses 8, verses 6 through 10. It says, now, therefore, Tatnai, governor of the prince beyond the river, the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. So this is a letter from King, King Darius, okay? He says, let the work on this house of God alone. So a secular, non-God-loving king is writing a letter to the opposition to tell them to stop causing problems while they build God's temple. He says, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost, listen, for the temple is to be paid to these men in full without delay from the royal revenue. This is the government paying to build our church. You know, this is what he's doing. The tribute of the province beyond the river, whatever is needed, bulls, rams, sheep, burnt offerings to God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil as the priests of Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Oh, come on. Look at this. God has taken what opposed them and used it to support the continuing of the work. What originally started as opposition turned into support. Only in the providence of God can this happen. What looks like might be opposing you now could be the very foundation upon which God builds the next season of your life. You think it's nothing, and God says, no, it's everything. It's creating the foundation. What opposes you now or discourages you now might be the very thing that supports you and encourages you later. Look at this. In God's good providence, he causes the opposition. He forces them through the means of a secular king. He forces them to pay for everything the temple requires. All right? Listen to me. God is never short on funds for what he wants to do, and he's never short on resources for what he wants to do. God is never short. He owns the whole bank, and he can transfer between accounts as he wills. He says, the silver and gold are mine. I'm going to move it from there to here, and I'm going to move it from here to there, and I'm going to move it from there to there, which means the same thing in your life. All the resources of God's provision are yours in Christ Jesus, and he says, listen, you think it's not yours? I'm going to move it to here. I'm going to move it there. You think that's impossible? I'm going to move it here, move it there. God owns everything. He says, the silver and gold are mine. I transfer it between accounts as I will according to the need of my people. And so he says in your life, everything in this world is mine, and I transfer it between accounts according to the need of each person. God is not short on funds for your life. God is not short on wisdom for your life. God is not short on resources needed for your life. God is not short on anything needed for your life. If you needed it, in Christ you would have it. And when you need it, God will give it to you. So while you feel like you don't have it, it's a season of waiting on God's timing. And please, so many of you shortcut the waiting process and you take things into your own hands. And that is often how we destroy our own lives. We don't want to wait, and so we manipulate. We take matters into our own hands. And I'm encouraging this morning that God is in the waiting. And if you needed it, you would have it. God is not short on funds or resources for you. So finally, we see this promise at the end. He says, I'm going to shake the whole, the whole, all the nations. They're going to come in. I'm going to fill this house with my glory. 
What I love about this is we see this reality that as the world shakes, the people of God become more secure. The shaking of the world created the security for God's people. He says, when I shake the world around me, the, you as God's people, it'll come in. You will become more secure. My glory will dwell here. The final thing he says, what is all this leading to in verse 9? And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord. That's the end game here. This is the goal. This is where your life is progressing to. If you are in Christ, your life is on a path to peace. God has promised this to you, and it is guaranteed to come to pass. We see this ultimately because the Prince of Peace, Jesus, came down several hundred years later to die on the cross for our sins. The Bible says that he has created peace between us and God the Father. And so if anyone would call on his name, you can have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That might be the response for some of you this morning and for many of you <clears throat> to remember to look at your life. It's not nothing. So change the way that you're thinking and be strong and put the work in and wait on God's timing. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus. And we ask now that you would take your word and that it would dwell within us and that it would transform us from the inside out. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And y'all go ahead and stand up and let's respond to the Lord.